Hi, and welcome to Messy in the Middle. I'm your host, Jessica Lee. This is a podcast featuring real women's stories about their journey, the messy part, the trials and tribulations to get from recurrent miscarriage and infertility to baby. Join us as we talk, cry, laugh, and get unbelievably vulnerable to feel less alone in the gang that no one wants to be a part of. Hello, hello. I just wanted to start off by giving an apology. I think I was meant to release an episode last week and I didn't and I just couldn't. I'll start off by giving a little update from what's happened since I released that bonus episode with what's happening with me. So I don't think I'd quite been to the scan yet and if you follow the Instagram page you'll be up to date with what's going on Uh, but for those who don't I will let you know. So that Thursday morning which is nearly two weeks ago now, sitting in the waiting room of my specialist office with my husband and I was dead set nearly having a panic attack. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to face the reality of having lost my baby. I was convinced that that was what the outcome was going to be. I had I had a huge bleed on the Wednesday before, so the day before the scan, and you just you don't see that much blood and think everything's okay and I would have 100% put money on the fact that I had lost this baby so got called in and he didn't even give me a chance to sit in the chair he's just like we're getting straight up for a scan and like okay cool okay let's just get straight into it and laid on the bed and it's an internal scan so he inserted the um, thing that's the technical term for it the thing (laughs) and he pointed out the gestational sac and I could see it and then I could see something inside it and then he pointed out the heartbeat I was like oh my god I burst into tears it was so far from the outcome that I was expecting it's I can't even describe it. I cannot tell you how convinced I was that I'd lost this baby. So he confirmed I was seven weeks and one day, which is pretty much spot on to what I thought I was. I was out by like a day. I thought I was seven weeks on the dot. And yeah, so there's a little baby growing inside of me. And I would love to tell you that everything has just been smooth sailing and we're all good from here. Oh, I will mention as well that he did advise to stop taking the aspirin and there was no, he couldn't see any reason for the bleeding. So the next day I'd stop taking the aspirin and then the bleeding had literally stopped. So now I'm back to taking it, but if I start bleeding, which I actually haven't again as yet, um, then I'll stop taking it again. Because my anxiety is still running rampant I think it got to the Sunday after the scan and I was already starting to freak out um it's like it had been three days and I'm already needing another scan it's like far out this is going to be a really really long pregnancy and on the Monday I'd woken up and my boobs weren't sore and I was like it's over (laughs) you know your mind just starts going wild but your symptoms do fluctuate it's very very normal Um, sore boobs have pretty much been my most consistent symptom nausea comes and goes and the fatigue actually has hit me like a truck so that's why it wasn't an episode released last week as it should have been because I put my son to bed and I'm I'm going to bed 
I am that exhausted. Um, I can kind of, <laughs> I can kind of understand why um, with the podcast that I used to listen to, um, I understand why she stopped doing it once she found out she was pregnant because it's really, really hard to keep going when you're so exhausted. But I'm going to soldier on. Like, I have got another scan this Thursday and I would be lying if I said I still wasn't, like, absolutely shitting myself. I think because, yes, I've had a successful pregnancy before, but the landscape of my uterus is completely different. This is a whole new ball game, and I just I don't know what's going to happen. Definitely trying to keep my anxiety at bay and... How I'm kind of doing that is staying as present as possible because anxiety is essentially fear of the unknown, which is what pregnancy is the whole freaking time, <laughs> fear of the unknown. So, yeah, staying really present. I Every morning when I wake up and when I go to bed, I'm, I've got this mantra that I say to my baby. It, it was something that was actually passed on by Sasha, um, who she was a few episodes back. Yeah, she said, tell your baby that, that it's safe and protected and that it can stay. So I've added a few little things um, that really just help give me peace of mind. So I say, I imagine my baby in, my, in, in the womb and I imagine this white and gold light around it. And I say, you are healthy and strong. You are safe and protected. You can stay. I love you. So every time that I kind of getting get that wave of anxiety and fear and think that this is all going to end at, at the next scan, I just repeat that to myself and it does help. So if you're going through this and you're struggling, just find a mantra or words of affirmation that kind of help calm you down and, yeah, give it a try. It's by no means at all easy. I really wish I could say once you get that positive pregnancy test that that's the end of your struggles. But in reality, there's just a new, there's a new battle beginning. So the fight's not yet over, but we're strong enough to get through it. So I'm going to stop talking now and I'll give you guys an update after my scan on Thursday. And hopefully all is still going well. I will be nine weeks one day and hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me. It's very exciting to be here. Uh, can you start by telling me your age, where you're from and who's in your family? Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm in Melbourne, Australia. I am 36 years old and my family has got my amazing husband, Lockie, who um, I've we've just celebrated our 20-year anniversary. Oh, wow. Not married. We didn't get married until yeah. much later, but we got together when we were 16 and we've been together ever since. Oh, um, and our son, Harvey, is four and a half and our other son, Bodie, is five months almost oh, six months beautiful and do you want to tell me how your trying to conceive journey started um if in order to talk about my trying to conceive journey it has to go kind of way back before I started trying to conceive which at the time I had no idea was going to have anything to do with trying to conceive okay. um but when I was about probably also oh, my whole life I'd had really heavy and painful periods and it was just like I'd, I'd leak through every night. We'd change my sheets every day when I was a teenager. Like it was just this ridiculous thing and it was really painful. I'd have days off school for it. And so when I was 22, I went in for an exploratory laparoscopy um, and they were looking for endometriosis. They assumed mm. that's what was going on. Um, he got in there and there was no endometriosis. 
but he wanted to fix my heavy bleeding and make me not struggle through that anymore. So he performed a curette of my uterus and he burned the wall of my uterus essentially so that it didn't keep regrowing as thick and I wouldn't have heavy periods anymore. Um, And he also put in an IUD, a marina IUD, which I thought was great because woke up from that procedure and I didn't have a period anymore. I stopped like no longer was it not painful and heavy, but it just didn't exist. Once probably every six months I'd have one or two days of spotting and that was all I had. Mm. And so it was amazing. And so for like seven years, I had that IUD in and I thought nothing of it, thought it was great, really easy for contraception. It was amazing. I obviously was with my partner by then. So my boyfriend at the time and I didn't have to worry about contraception because it was just there. Um, And so, yeah, seven years kept that in. And so then I went to get that removed and I got a brand new one put in. So I was on like awake on the table and had them pull out one marina, put in a new one. Um, no problems. Everything was fine. And after two years, my husband and I said, well, yeah, we probably would have married by then. So now we're nine years in. So um, we went on a walk one day and said, right, this is our plan. It was 2016. We said, we're going to get married by the end of this year. Then next year, we're going to go to Everest base camp. And then the following year, we're going to try and have a baby. And so we went and we got my um, IUD. We went to get it removed um, and the doctor couldn't find it. So it should be as simple as just, you know, you lay on the table in the stirrups, they pull it out. Basically, there's Mm -hmm. like a cord that hangs down and they pull it out, but they couldn't find the cord. The string was gone. Um, And so, you know, you start researching and everything's saying like, you're going to need a a surgical procedure to get it removed. And it's just, I was like, oh my goodness, what have I done? So I thought, well, I'll just try one more doctor, went to another gynecologist, went in, she was lovely, went in and searched for ages and found it and got it out pulled it out and it was done and we were like yes this is amazing all right perfect let's start trying to have babies and so I knew that I just had obviously something in my uterus that wasn't supposed to be there so I didn't want to start trying for babies straight away um so we just started preparing like I was like 30 years old we're like let's prepare for when we want to have a baby let's get it all ready so I took every vitamin that I'd ever read might be helpful (laughs) you know I did vitamin d I did probiotics I did fish oil I did obviously the the natal vitamins I did everything and I so good that you had the the sense to start like preconception care yeah yeah because I know when I started trying it was like I knew absolutely nothing really yeah (laughs) that's funny well I'm a bit of a like I'm a bit of an organizer I like a plan like as I said we're going to get married then we're doing you know like I like to know what's coming yeah and so yeah I knew like I stopped drinking alcohol then I stopped drinking coffee I started seeing um, an acupuncturist and she's amazing. Um, And yeah, she just helped me prep my body really. And so we spent all this time getting ready, doing all the right stuff, you know, making sure my body was going to be right for it. Um, And then we started trying and, you know, first month, no, second month, no. By the third month, I was really like, oh, this isn't going to happen. And I was doing tests like regularly. And I did a test one day and another negative, all right, another month of, you know, it was three months in, it was nothing, whatever, not pregnant this month, sad, but that's okay. Left it kind of on the bench, like it was just on the kitchen bench, went, got ready for work and came back like an hour later and you're not supposed to read them after 10 minutes, but like an hour later, I came back and there was a faint second line. Oh, okay. And I said to my husband, this is it like we're gonna and he's going no 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 like a voice of reason no 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 I was so excited but he was not letting me be excited so I was like okay fine you know it's been too long so we didn't we like that's it hasn't happened 
I waited three days or something ridiculous. Like I don't know how I waited so long, <laughs> but I tested again and I'd said to my husband, I'm going to go and test. I'm going to, and he was like, okay, whatever. And I went and did. And within a minute, there was a second dark line oh, and good. I just went, oh shit, <laughs> this is real. <laughs> this is happening. We are, we are having a baby. <laughs> Um, and so we're so excited. We went for our morning walk that we do every, we were doing at the time every day. And so we went for this walk and walking on the street and I looked down and I saw this tiny, tiny, tiny possum, like as in it's fallen out of its mother's pouch. It should not have been alive wow. yet. And yeah. I decided this possum was my baby <laughs> and we had to look after it. And so we spent all this time like preparing to, you know, we, we took the possum to a hospital and it was never going to survive, but this yeah. tiny little thing and it was the start of kind of me going all right I'm a mum now I'm gonna look after this possum like I will a baby yeah and so yeah I went to the doctor I did a, a urine sample and it, the doctor said yes yes you are a little bit pregnant <laughs> oh you're good mate like great <laughs> a little bit pregnant great, yeah okay good. but I did the bloods and the bloods showed yes I was pregnant everything yeah. was going well and then we went and like, so, so my parents live out of town. So my parents were in Melbourne for a bit and we got mugs made up saying like, just call me grandma, just call me grandpa and made them a cup of tea. So that was really exciting to nice. get to tell my parents. Yeah, I went and had a six week scan and totally naive, naive knew nothing about it. Just went, okay, we're going to see a baby now and lay there and did the internal ultrasound. And there was that beautiful, amazing flickering heartbeat that said, yes, there's a baby in there. Um, and then I drove home from that straight to work and I'm a school teacher. So I drove straight to a grade six excursion and I went and did laser tag with a group of grade six kids knowing I was now six weeks pregnant. Should I be doing this? But again, naive, I just did everything. Yeah. Um, and then we told my in-laws it was right before Christmas. So Christmas Eve, we told my in-laws we had a little box with, you know, like the little ultrasound and told them we we're going to have a baby. So that was really exciting. But then at 15 weeks, I had a bleed and it wasn't big, but it was blood. Yeah. And I didn't know anything like I didn't know what to do. So I went to my GP and she had a look in there and said, yep, there's blood coming from your cervix. I'll mm. do a swab and we'll see if there's an infection. I was flying to New Zealand for a wedding in three days. And I mm. said, well, what do I do? And she said, well, if the swab comes back clear, you just go. And I went, okay. And so the swab came back clear and we just went to New Zealand and did it again. So there was thought no nothing of a scan to check anything. Nah. No, no one discussed. It was just, okay, fine. You know, you're pregnant, there's a bleed, whatever. Yeah. Told friends and they went, oh, that sucks. That was it. I didn't know anything more than that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we, about a month later, I had a big bleed. Um, I'd gotten up in the morning and there was blood, like so much blood. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought I was losing my baby. I thought that was it. Oh, my gosh, I'm crying already. This is a good start. <laughs> Um, it's emotional it's fine it is I, yeah. I, I just thought that was it I was going to lose this baby and so we rang around and we've rang the place who'd done my 12-week scan and we said what do I do and they said we've got time for you at like 10 o'clock yeah. all right cool so we got in the car and drove there and we were so early and so we went to this cafe and I remember sitting at that cafe so terrified drinking a coffee but was a decaf coffee because I didn't drink coffee yeah. and just thinking I was about to be told I'd lost this baby mm. and we had the scan and nope baby's fine oh, that's baby was absolutely fine there was nothing wrong baby was growing baby was doing amazing so we were so relieved um went home thought nothing really of it um about a week later I had another bleed 
um, it was kind of about the same, wasn't huge again. Um, like, so, so it was smaller than the first one, but kind of similar sort of like blood, like colouring and stuff. So this time I went to my obstetrician and the obstetrician looked and said, everything's fine. What you should have done last time was go straight to hospital because you're a private patient and they'll see you. So yeah, you should have yeah. done that last time. Um, so, okay, cool. <laughs> I know that now. Know what you don't know, that's it. Yeah, that's right. And so then that was just, we just kept going forward. Okay, thought nothing of it. Baby's fine. A few more small spotting bleeds, but nothing really. And they weren't giving you any indication as to why that could be happening? No one knew. No one had any idea what was going on. It was just some women just bleed throughout their pregnancies. And, mm. you know, the obstetrician's going, you hear stories about people who don't know they're pregnant because they bleed so much that they get their periods the whole pregnancy in theory. It's not, a, you know, all that. And I was like, okay, yeah. sure, that's fine. If that's what it is, then, then that's okay. Um, and so then at 28 weeks, I had the biggest, most almighty bleed I've imagined could be possible coming out of me. It was like a week's worth of period when I was a teenager all at once. It was enormous. Yeah. First thing in the morning again, and I was absolutely beside myself. We drove straight to the hospital. We don't live far from the hospital. We're like 10 minutes from the private hospital. I was sitting on a towel in the car and just crying. And we, I was bleeding onto the towel. Like there was so much blood. I remember my husband going, where do I park? I went, I don't care. And we just like, you know, like it was just get me in yeah. there. Yeah. And we got in and they put me on like the table and they, you know, they do the monitoring thing where they listen for the baby's heart and all that sort of stuff. And mm -hmm. baby wasn't in distress. Baby was fine. And the bleeding had started to stop. And my obstetrician just happened to be there. So she did a proper scan and everything was fine, but they wanted to keep watching. Yeah. They ended up sending me for a proper scan, like in not just the obstetrician scan, and they could see that I had placenta previa. Oh, and okay. so that meant that my placenta was so low down that it was covering my cervix. Yeah. And she said, it's not just covering your cervix a little bit. Like this is 100% centered over the top of your cervix. Like okay. this, there's no exit hole for this baby. I'm sorry, but you need to have a cesarean because there's no other way we're ever going to get this baby out. Okay, fine up the location of the placenta during your 20 week scan or had it moved because I think it can do that I think it had moved yeah okay. and they all everyone kind of kept saying to me it still could move right. like you know the obstetrician was like no this is happening but mm. everyone you know you, you google stuff you can't help it you google and you go oh, maybe it'll move maybe it'll happen yeah. I'll get my natural birth all I want you know again I'm naive all I wanted was a natural birth I didn't yeah. think about what that actually meant yeah. I just you say you want a natural birth and so that's what you do really mm. um and so I was in hospital now with this placenta previa, not really knowing what it meant, but hoping it would move. Um, they kept me there for a week and I just kept having bleeds. Mm -hmm. They weren't as big as that other one. None of them were massive. Um, they gave me the couple of the two steroid shots, however far apart, two days apart or whatever for the baby's lungs. Yeah. Um, we knew we were having a boy by this stage as well. So we, you know, you kind of feel that extra attachment once you find out who yeah. it is almost. Um yeah stuck in hospital for the week everyone was really nice like I kind of look back on that time in hospital as ridiculous as it sounds and it was like this lovely thing like everybody was looking after me like I was scared for the baby but I felt like they'd told me it was okay for now and so it was just everyone caring for me and yeah. you know nurses would bring me cups of tea and it was just this boring but kind of lovely experience at the same yeah. time but Almost then they sent me down home. time too before a baby yeah. comes yeah, 100%. I wasn't cleaning because I was in hospital. Yeah. Mind you, I refolded my clothes a million times. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so then at, at 29 weeks, they sent me home and they told me, if you come back to hospital, we're not going to let you go home again. Okay. So this is it now. If you have a, another big bleach, you have mm. to stay. And so that felt like a threat in a way. <laughs> and so I got really good at judging how big my bleeds were. Oh, okay. So I kept bleeding. Like it just, it kept happening. But mm. I decided that was small enough that I wasn't going to go in. And like there was nights, like my husband cleaned blood off the couch because I'd leaked through things so many times. And like there was so many bleeds and so much blood. And I just look back now on what that was and can't believe what we went through and how we managed. Yeah. Like I, I wasn't on bed rest, but I wasn't allowed to do anything. Yeah. I had to like, I was allowed to cook dinner, but you know, that was like the stand up in the kitchen. I wasn't allowed to go to the shops. I wasn't allowed to do anything. We'd, so we'd you wouldn't have been out a couple of working. Times. No, no. So that no. was it. Maternity leave started at 28 weeks. Wow. And so, yeah, so it was, and I think mom actually took me in to see my kids because I was teaching grade two at the time. So mom took me in to see my kids to say goodbye to them because I wasn't going to get to see them again, which was actually really emotional as well because I always loved my class and these beautiful children. So, yeah, so then just kind of like I remember getting up at nighttime and going to the toilet and it's like this trauma still because you'd use the glow of your watch and you'd shine it on your undies when you went to the toilet to see if there was blood. And mm. if there was, you'd flick the big light on and work out how much blood you had. But if there wasn't, you'd go back to bed. Like it was just this, like I still do. I still use the light of my watch to check if there's blood in my undies, which is ridiculous. But it's just this trauma that yeah. will forever be there now. But so I made it to 33 weeks. Okay. And at 33 weeks, I woke up in the middle of the night to like cramps in my abdomen and blood. And I was like, oh, it's a big one. This is going to be the hospital one. Yeah. And then I got up and I walked to the toilet and there was, it was dripping down my legs and onto the floor. And I thought that was it. Mm. I was screaming. My mum was there at the time she was staying and my husband, and I just was screaming. It's gone. It's gone. I've mm. lost it. It's finally happened. Um, we put a maternity pad on. So like a really big one. And I was just, yeah. I bled through it instantly. Like there was just... So we rang the hospital and raced there again. Um, my husband probably broke land records and, you know, like we drove so fast to the hospital. Mm. And by the time we got there, it had slowed. They got me into like a, um, a birthing suite as soon as we got there because they could test me and monitor me better there. Um, turned out I was in labour, which is yeah. what was causing all the blood to keep gushing like it was, like it had stop right. and start. And so it was my body trying to do it. And the placenta was just in the way. It couldn't. Yeah. Um, but they said the baby was okay. Baby was fine. Still no distress. Everything was fine. Amazing. Um, so they get, put me on these drugs. And, oh, my gosh, those drugs. I, I can't remember the name, but that's ridiculous because it was so embedded in me what that name of that drug was. But I was it that stopped my labour. Right. And they wanted labour to, to stop and to end. Um, and so... I just kept taking this drug that just made me so sick. I can't put into words how sick I was. I literally was slipping in and out of consciousness because I was so sick. And when I was awake, I was vomiting. And when I was unconscious, I'd wake up vomiting. Like I was mm -hmm. just so sick. My mum stayed. She didn't leave the hospital unless my husband was there. And we actually had a nurse say, for goodness sake, you're a grown woman as if you need your mother. I was like, I need my mother. You don't understand. What I thought you like, say? Jeez. Yeah. Oh, I was, Everything I, you're I, going through. Yeah, it was just awful. And so 
for a week, I lay in that hospital bed, unable to move, unable to do anything for myself. Everyone fed me even like it was, I was so sick. And mum was amazing. She just sat in that hospital room and knitted, <laughs> which is what mums do, isn't it? That's a grandma yeah. thing. She was preparing yeah, to be a grandma. She was. <laughs> so she knitted these beautiful little outfits for this baby. And like on the 29th of June at like 6 p.m., she finished this beautiful blue stripy prem-sized cardigan. And we put it on my belly and we took photos going, one day this is going to be keeping my baby warm on the outside, but right now it's on the inside. Yeah. Little did we know that mum drove home and within hours, so I was on my own that night. I often did have someone with me, but I was on my own. Within hours I woke up and I just was bleeding again. Like it was doing the same thing. The cramping was there. That The drugs weren't stopping the contractions anymore. I was stationed in the room opposite the nurse's table because they, like I was high risk. I was... Like I was their most important patient at the time, which is not how you want to be a VIP really in life. (laughs) Hell, I'll take it. Why not? And so I I just started yelling, pressing the button, yelling at the same time. Like, I need help. And they came, you know, everyone came in and they were like stripping me off and working out what to do. And they rang the doctors and obstetrician got there so quickly. My husband got there so quickly. The neighbours all heard my husband leave. They laughed afterwards because he just ran to the car and just drove because he, everyone was panicking. And they, this beautiful midwife was preparing me, like she put the catheter and everything, like got everything ready and was just calmly talking to me. And while she was doing it, we could hear an argument in the hallway. And this was, sorry, like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. So it was, you know, late by now. Yeah. Um, and we could hear this argument in the silent hallway. And my obstetrician was standing there squabbling with the anaesthetist. And we could hear every word because the anaesthetist had said, this this surgery is too dangerous. If we perform that in this hospital, that woman will die and so will the baby. Oh, shit. And my obstetrician's going, I, I, no, I know this is okay. And they're saying, no, there's not enough blood in this hospital. She'll die. We can't do this. So I'm, you know, beside myself about to give birth and it's all. And so the, the anaesthetist came in and said to me, I'm advising you not to go ahead. And I, say, I said, I respect you and I'm sure you're a professional, but I know my obstetrician, I trust her and I'm going to listen to her and I'd like them to call me another anaesthetist, please. And I don't know how I kept my wits about me. That, that is not me. Like I was <laughs> beside myself. Um, and so they did. They wheeled me up to the theatre and they got another anaesthetist who came in and he was amazing. Like he was this lovely young guy who was flying to Hawaii in a few days so he was on leave and he came in anyway and he was amazing and there was two obstetricians because it was considered a tricky because of the, I don't know placenta pre whatever it was but they performed the cesarean it was all a panic and getting everything to happen in time but they did it and it happened and they pulled my baby out and he was only 34 weeks at that time he was so at midnight it clocked over to 34 weeks which meant that I was allowed to have him at that hospital and they pulled him out and he cried and it, it was magic and terrifying yeah. because I didn't know if he was safe because he was so early. Um, and they whisked him off and the paediatrician did his tests and all that and then wrapped him up. My husband got to go and cut the cord and they, you know, did all of that. And they came back and they put him on me. And when they put him on me, he was wrapped in the blankets. And I'm looking and I'm looking at the paediatrician. I looked at my husband and they're taking photos and I'm going, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be sick. And everyone's just smiling at me, taking, and I'm, no, no, I'm going to be sick. And I started vomiting all over this baby who was just wrapped on my chest. And the obstetricians are screaming, why didn't anyone tell us? I did. I was going to be sick. And so I just kept on vomiting. 
And the obstetrician got right in my face and said, Lauren, you need to focus on stopping vomiting right now. And she was eye to eye with me. And I went, okay, yeah. And I stopped vomiting. And my husband and my baby went down to the nursery and I was left there completely on my own. And then I got the shakes and I couldn't stop shaking and it just consumed me. And I was so upset, but couldn't focus. And it just all, and the beautiful obstetrician just stood there and held my hand and just kept looking at me going, it's okay. It's okay. You've got a baby, your baby's okay. And I just was crying and she's telling me to stop crying because she's trying to stitch me up and my insides are, you know, like it was just, but this baby was okay. And he was out and he was fine. They wheeled me down back to my room. I had a sleep. We called our families who went, oh, my goodness, you've had a baby. We didn't expect that yet. Um, the midwife came down at 9 a.m. the next morning to take me off to the breastfeeding class, which was supposed to start at 9 a.m. But she's like, you're not even pregnant anymore. You can't come to this class right now. You're not ready for that. And I was still vomiting. So I obviously couldn't have any weight because I was vomiting. But I just kept on vomiting. And they couldn't stop me vomiting. And they, I kept trying to go and see my baby who was in the nursery, but I couldn't stop vomiting and mm. they wouldn't let me in. And I'd get in the wheelchair and I'd go, all right, I've got this. Come on, let's go. And I'd get to the entrance and I'd start vomiting and they wouldn't let me in. So I had to turn around and go back again. Mm. For three days, I couldn't get to my baby mm. and he was so close, but so far. Um, my mum came and sat with me every day. My mum didn't leave my side. She didn't meet my baby either. She didn't go in and see him because that wasn't fair to see him before me. We had other visitors who did. I know people who met my baby before I did because I couldn't get in there. I ended up losing it one day. I completely just melted down. And I had a a bunch of doctors, like five doctors came and had a bedside meeting about what was going on. They took me off everything, every drug. They took everything off me. And within hours, I got better. And they don't know which drug it was. They think it's pain relief. I can take Panadol, but they think I'm allergic to every other form of pain relief. So I'd be a terrible drug addict because I couldn't do it. (laughs) But they took it off and I was better and they could wheel me in. And I went in and I I held my little boy's hand. He was in a humidity crib. He was tiny. He was two kilos, 2.04 kilos. He was tiny and he was in a humidity crib and he was tube fed. He, you know, he couldn't even open his mouth to the breast but he was this tiny miracle and I just held his hand and I just didn't leave his side it was amazing and then one midwife that night said to me do you want to hold him and I just burst into tears because he was my baby and he was in my arms now like I thought so many times he was going to die and yet he didn't and he was in my arms now and it was incredible he was tube fed he was so good at that that they started letting him try the breast yeah he was amazing at that he only had to stay in hospital for 19 days I mean I first of all they sent me home after five which was the most that was even more traumatic than any of the bleeds because that's just no mother should ever have to leave her child but I did and by then I was pretty good at sucking it up and just dealing with whatever so I'm back to the hospital every three hours because I wanted to be there when he had a feed so every time they poured milk into that tube I was there Um, My mum drove me backwards and forwards and after 19 days he got to come home and he was just our little miracle at home. He slept. He was so good at sleeping because he'd been a a NICU baby who just has to. They don't get a choice. They have to lie there. But then as he got older, he got closer to his due date and he got better and better at waking up. up. Um, (laughs) 
And mm. yeah, he's, he's our miracle baby. He had all sorts of issues when he was two weeks old. So no, must've been four weeks old. Two weeks before he was due, he had his first inguinal hernia surgery because right. something was popping out where it shouldn't have. He had the surgery yeah. all fixed. Two weeks later, they had another problem. He had to have the other side done. So he'd had two surgeries then within his first six weeks of life, but that's not that uncommon. He's had all sorts of issues. He's had, he was a breath holder. So he used to scream and cry and then make himself turn blue and pass out. And you wouldn't know what was going on, but yeah. I got used to that too. He had seizures. He, a couple of times he'd be lying in my arms doing the full convulsing seizures and they never found out what caused that. We had all sorts of scans done. There was nothing. God, that he had some tongue tied done. <laughs> He's our he's our problem child. No, he's yeah, <laughs> he's, he's keeping you on your toes. <laughs> yeah, and he still does. He's so he's yeah. four and a half now, and my goodness, he's got so much energy. He yeah. absolutely keeps us on our toes, but we love him to bits and wouldn't change yeah. a single thing about him. And so, yeah, we just thought that this was our difficult journey. And so, when we went to extend our family, it was just going to be easy. We didn't have mm. any concerns whatsoever. I was still doing all of the vitamins. I was you know, still healthy. I didn't drink during pregnancy, during, um, well, during preconception, conception, and then um, breastfeeding, I didn't have a single drink. And I fed him till breastfed till about three, maybe three and a half. Yeah. Um, so I was doing all of the right things. And we were like, let's have another baby. It's time. So at 11 months, I wanted to start trying. We wanted to have two under two. And we just thought it'd be easy. I didn't have my period back yet. But we went to my acupuncturist, who is amazing. And within 24 hours from seeing her, I had my period she really? did it it was yeah. really light but it was there um so we just kind of kept on trying really first month if you were ovulating at all yes yeah. so um I sort of was using apps and things to start with so mm. like my cycle seemed very regular once I did get that first period so yeah. we just kind of used the apps on the phone I didn't do any of the we on tests or anything like that really to start yeah. with we just assumed I was ovulating every month, kind of went along with it. It was three months in and it was just our little secret. No one else knew. We were kind of, you know, you're disappointed. Oh, another negative. But it was the same. We've got a baby. It's fine. It's probably a good thing. Not too close together might not be ideal. We just kept on going, went along with it, rattled while we walked from all the vitamins. Now my husband and I were both taking because it got so ridiculous. Yeah. I'm obsessive, so it got ridiculous. We, after six months, started to feel a little bit like maybe it's not just going to happen I started mm -hmm. to look up a little bit about secondary infertility but it still thought it wasn't going to be me but I went to my doctor anyway and she said no nah, we're not going to test you for anything yet it's only been six months it needs to be 12 months before you can get any tests done so okay cool that's rule, fine <laughs> yeah ridiculous yeah. but again like I didn't I was still naive yeah. I didn't know that that was a ridiculous rule still. Yeah. I still just went, okay, I'll get pregnant when it's time. It's not going to be me. I'm not going to have problems. I already had my problems. Mm -hmm. I already had a difficult birth. Yeah. Um, so I thought, you know, whatever. But it got crazier and crazier. And I started to really struggle with the fact that I wasn't getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I really was really, 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 really wanting to get pregnant again. And it was getting more and more. And my emotions started to get worse my husband could see it was getting worse. So we bought, I don't know if you've heard of a, a mirror, it's called M-I-R-A. Yes. Yeah. And so we bought, it's like a, you, you wee in a cup and then it digitally tells you what your hormone levels are. Mm. So we bought one of those and we could see that, yes, I was ovulating. Yes, I was doing like, you know, everything should have been working. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's not my problem. 
So Mira had like a sperm sample thing you could buy as well. So we did that and my husband tested and yeah, everything was fine. So it should all be working. So both of us were healthy, should be getting pregnant. I got more and more emotional. It became yeah. a massive roller coaster ride for us. You'd spend two weeks reading everything. Maybe this month I'll try this, this and this and this. And then you'd do all that and then you'd have your two-week wait where you just waited and waited and waited and waited. And then you'd get your period and I'd spend three days nonstop crying mm. and then go, okay, I'm going to start researching again. What can I research this time? So your period's and so, still light? Yeah. Yeah. My periods were there, um, but they were pretty light. Like they were still, I didn't think they were suspect. Mm. I didn't think they were light enough to be worried. Yeah. I was just, you know, looking back now they were light, but at the time I didn't know they were. And so every decision I made was based on that. Like I didn't go back to work because I was going to be pregnant soon. So I don't want to go back to work and then be pregnant and have to leave. Yeah. Um, I, I did stretches. I did exercises. I had every rec- recommended vitamin. I did acupuncture. I had that awful Chinese med drink that is the most disgusting thing you'll ever taste in your life. But I did that every night. I did yeah. aromatherapy. I did massage. I did crystal therapy. I drank the teas. I did the hypnosis. I did the meditations. Like I did absolutely everything that I could think of month after month after month. And I kept adding things and thinking this will be the one that does it. So at 12 months, she referred me, my GP did refer me to a fertility specialist. And so by now we're at mid 2020. Yeah. And I live in Melbourne in Australia where Mm -hmm. COVID lockdowns meant that now I was locked in my house. Yeah, I was literally, well, not physically, like no one locked my door, but I wasn't allowed to leave. I was mm. allowed to leave for short periods of time for exercise and that was it. And the rest of my life, I wasn't working. The shops were closed. There was nothing I could do except sit in my house. My husband works really long hours. He often like isn't home till seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night. And mm. so I was home alone all day, every day. And I was just wallowing in this sadness. Mm. And I had this beautiful boy that I loved with all my heart and I just threw myself into trying to be the best mum for him that I could be and so like we did sensory play we did open like we did the most amazing play like that kid had a phenomenal fears because I had to throw myself into something yes um, we finally got to speak to a, a specialist um, after a huge wait because of COVID um, and she just went all right this test this test this test Cool. All right. So we booked in for all these tests, but again, that was a big wait to get them done. So the first test we got in for, oh, I probably did blood tests and things as well. Yeah. Um, but and my acupuncturist had sort of ordered all of those anyway. So yeah, I'd done a lot of that already. Yeah. Um, but I went in for like this test and it was the uh sel- selenography, sel- what the you know, yeah. the one where they squirt the liquid up there. I can never know how to say that. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. But so I went in for this test and I was like, this is it. This is they're flushing my tubes. I'm gonna this is gonna do what clears me out and it'll be fine. I went in there and I said to the guy, You're gonna help me get pregnant. This is gonna be amazing. You should feel fantastic. You're part of my story. This is gonna work. Yeah. And he was like, All right, yeah, let's do this. And he was really <laughs> excited and we were gonna have this positive, great experience. And I remember him starting the procedure, still chatting away. Like we were chatting as if, you know, it wasn't anything weird that he was doing. (laughs) And he was so happy. And then all of a sudden his demeanor changed, like completely. I can see his face still. Mm. And 
he just stopped the procedure. He was like, all right, all right, that's, that's it, that's it, that stopped. And he was packing everything away and the nurse was packing away and they weren't looking at me. They were just, and I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't know what. Mm. And I said, didn't it, didn't I get to see it or something? And he said, oh, it didn't go in. And I said, what didn't go in? The liquid. The liquid's supposed to go in and blow up your uterus so that we can see what's going on in there so that it can flush out the tubes. Mm. But we couldn't get it in. He said, don't get too worried about this because I'm sure they'll be able to fix it. But you've got what we call Ashermans and your uterus is scarred shut. <laughs> I just was in shock and I had no idea what that meant. I, mm. How could my uterus be scarred shut? What does that even mean? And he said, like, it's completely scarred shut. Both sides, both walls are stuck together. If you picture a balloon, the balloon's been glued shut. And he was out of the room then that was it there was no more questions he, he knew I was going to keep asking and he didn't want to answer mm. them so he just left it was so lucky he even gave you that much really oh I know I know yeah. and you know what looking back on my story that man has he is a miracle man he is the first miracle in in my son's journey because yeah. he that that word that word Ashermans that he gave me then mm-hmm. was actually life-changing for me but at the mm-hmm. time I didn't understand that yeah so I mean immediately after that we went we went back to that very same cafe that I'd sat in waiting to hear if I'd lost my first son. Mm. We went back and sat in that cafe with the word Asherman's ringing in our ears and I just sat there and cried. I rang my mum and I said, I've got something wrong with my uterus. And she's like, well, what? I, said, I don't know. I'll call you back. I'm going to do some research. And we mm. sat there and we Googled it. And when you Google it, some websites say, it's nothing. It'd be gone in five minutes. Other websites say, it's the rarest condition in the world and you'll never get better and that's it. You're never having children. Yeah, and I'm a, I was pretty dramatic by that stage. I'd been trying to have a baby for eighteen months, and mm-hmm. I I read the dramatic as what it was, and mm-hmm. I was broken. I believed that in that moment I hadn't just lost a baby; I'd lost every baby that there ever could be in my future. Mm-hmm. I'd lost an opportunity to walk that child down the aisle. You know, like I I'd. I'd lost every first day of school, first day of mm-hmm. high school. And if you haven't been through a fertility journey, you could never understand that that moment of it's it's not going to happen for you. Like yeah. my yeah. dream, my dream was, I mean, my brother and I, we're three years apart and we are such good friends. We were growing up. We were, he's so lovely. He's my older brother and he's just, he was my world. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that for my son. I wanted him to have a younger sibling that could have the relationship that I have with my brother and that all fell apart that all went crashing down and it wasn't going to happen and I just yeah I was crushed there are no words I can't even you don't have to I know yeah yeah (laughs) and just just, grieve all the lost possibilities of your future your world is ending but Mm. it can't end because Mm. you have to keep going you do and we hadn't told anyone literally nobody knew we were trying to have babies or another baby except our doctors and there was two friends a couple who it just fell out one day I just told them we were out for a walk with our boys and it just fell out that I was trying to have a baby and they were the only people in the world that knew that we were trying so we had to tell people though we had to go home my mother-in-law was with my son while we were having the test done we had to go home and I just burst into tears and said to her I'll I've, we've been trying to have a baby for a really long time and we've just found out I probably can't. And I just cried. 
because telling people felt awful as well. And for such a, like you start off not telling people because it's this fun little secret and then you, you don't tell people because you feel, I don't know, ashamed. You feel yeah. women are supposed to be able to have babies and I couldn't have another baby. And already my first son, if that had happened a hundred years ago, I would have died giving birth. Neither of us would have survived that. And yeah. now this next one, it's just, yeah, I just, I was devastated, absolutely devastated. So I now had been trying for such a long time, was thinking that was the end, but was just going to do some research, see what the doctor said. So I did a little bit of research about how to treat it. And I had my telehealth appointment then with the fertility specialist. And she said, oh, well, there's three things we could do. We could try another salon or whatever it is, salinography, put the liquid in again and yep. see if you do that and it might shoot away all the scar tissue. And I was like, what? Okay. The other option is that we can do a laparoscopy and I can go in through your belly button and I can scrape away all the scar tissue through your belly button. And the third option is that we can put a laser in there and do like another DNC and we'll burn off the inside of your uterus and that'll fix it. Now in my five minutes of research, I discovered that actually the first, well, the first option was a joke and the yeah. second two options would have made things so much worse. So much worse, yeah. And yeah, like if I had any chance, if she, if I had any chance of another baby, she would have ruined that chance. There was no chance if she'd done that. It's so, so scary to think that there are other women who don't do the extra research. They just trust what the listened. doctor says. Yeah. And yeah, yeah do yeah. make the situation so much worse for them. It's terrifying. And that's why I've gone in fighting, you know, not for, but sharing my story now because mm -hmm. I want people to realize that that's the case. Doctors don't know everything. Yeah. They really don't. Even yeah. Specialist doctors, like, sorry, fertility doctors don't know everything about fertility. You need to do your own research. You do. Um, but so I said no to her. I said, can you refer me on, please? So she said, okay, I'll get back to you. Hung up the phone, $300 for that five-minute phone call where she gave me the worst advice I'd ever received in my life. But whatever. In the scheme of fertility, that's nothing. It is. Um, yeah. and so, whatever, gone. Um, and then she referred me to another doctor and I researched him and there was no mention of Asherman's or uterine adhesions or anything. So I went, nah, mm. I'm not seeing him either. I just started Googling and whatever, whatever I could find. And I found a doctor in Melbourne and I went, we'll see how this goes. I'll, he specifically mentioned Asherman's as something he specializes in. So I went, okay, well, let's see rang them and of course there's a huge wait mm. and so all right I'm gonna have to wait now this is still in the middle of COVID in Melbourne and I've now been told there's no chance of falling pregnant now because my uterus is completely scarred shut there's no little bit mm. and so the egg actually does not get down the sperm cannot get up there is zero chance so I cannot fall pregnant it's which amazing probably... you were having periods at all yeah, I was. It's, yeah. They don't really necessarily. They think that probably there was a tiny bit just above my cervix that was still growing lining, yeah. and because that bit was, that was enough that what was probably a really light period, I didn't realize it was quite as light as it was, and mm. just yeah, there was that little bit of blood that was enough. But so probably lucky I didn't fall pregnant because if I had, there's no way that I would have actually kept that pregnancy and it would yeah. have been losses and so that would have been devastating but so we just had to keep fighting and you just you know in that time I researched and I found books that talked about more things and I changed my diet even more and I stopped using plastic and I 
you know, my, my cookware is all different. And like, I changed everything. I was like, I am going to fix my egg health while I'm waiting to fix my uterus. It's going to happen. And I like did everything. My husband did too. He was amazing. He dived straight in. So we had this consult with this guy who was phenomenal, told us all about Ashman's, was so knowledgeable about it, was so kind and caring and spoke to us so well. And he booked us in for surgery, but it was like months still before we could get in. I mean, COVID was still getting in the way of everything. Um, So in that time, I found a Facebook group and the Facebook group was all for women with Ashman's Mm -hmm. and they all talked about this doctor in Sydney. And I sort of, I just felt like he was the one they kept talking about. Mm-hmm. And my surgery was getting closer and closer with my Melbourne doctor. But I just wanted to see what happened if I spoke to the Sydney doctor. So I called them and they didn't have any availability. And so I said, look, it's really desperate. I'm actually supposed to be having surgery with a different doctor next week. If he can tell me if there's a chance that he'll perform surgery, I want to go with him. And she said, let me talk to him. So he mm-hmm. rang me in his lunch break. He was amazing. He said, Ashman's is my baby. I want to fix this for you. I want to treat you. And 10 days later, I was in Sydney on his operating table with a migraine because it was so terrifying. Um, And he put me on his table and he went in and performed a hysteroscopy and did PRP Mm. and, yeah, cut away with cold scissors and did all of the right things and called me back in after three days and told did a scan and said yeah it looks great and we've been in Sydney for four days with was my husband myself and my son and my parents who live in New South Wales but not in Sydney flew there as well so I could look after my son it was this huge thing it was the most emotional I've ever been in my life I had a massive reaction to the anesthetic they gave me my poor Um, husband was driving home and I said I'm gonna be sick and he went yeah let me pull over but I couldn't like I was just I was so sick Um, And that went for days and I just, it was an awful weekend, but at the same time, it was a beautiful weekend. We stayed in Bondi. My son got to swim. Like they fixed my uterus. That was, you know, everything. He said, you need to go and get another scan done to see if it's cleared your uterus. Mm. And then I'm happy for you to try and conceive. Did he do like a percentage of damage? Um, So I was 75% scarred shut. Yeah. Um, And so... The, the base of my uterus right at the very bottom was not gut, which to me is mind-blowing because if you think back to my previous pregnancy, mm. my placenta was in that exact spot. Yeah. And I believe now looking back that that DNC when I was 22 is what caused my Ashermans. Yeah. And I already had Ashermans when I fell pregnant with my son. And he just by some miracle, he implanted in that spot where there was no scar tissue and as he grew he was somehow able to break apart the scarring and just grow Mm. he he's such like everything we went through is nothing compared to having lost him yeah and I believe that he is more of a miracle than I gave him credit for until I understood all of this journey so yeah so I was 75 percent scarred which is you know massive Um, but my lining looked like it was okay he said that I looked like I should be able to grow new lining and we'll see and try and get pregnant um, so had the scan two weeks later and the scan showed everything's fine. Everything's great. You look fantastic. You've got eggs in there ready to go. You could go home and fall pregnant. And so we went home and tried to fall pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it kind of was all, yeah, that, that awkward bit of it. Um, <laughs> but it kind of all like went on. And then we 
did the waited the two weeks you know this is not going to happen three months with Harvey surely this is not going to happen now and I did a pregnancy test in June um and it was negative and I actually completely broke like that was that that was actually like yeah beyond anything I ever imagined which is stupid because I'd had so many negatives but that negative it was not just one negative that was 24 negatives because it had been two years now and I just paid thousands upon thousands of dollars mm. and it was still negative and I I just like I broke I absolutely broke I cried and cried and cry is an understatement because like I literally wailed and like I just was not okay my son uh was right before his third birthday and he was very speech delayed and I just remember him looking at me and saying mommy why tears no why water mommy why water because I was crying so much and he just didn't understand yeah. and I I couldn't pull myself together but you have to I had a three-year-old to look after um it was his birthday in like three days so we went to Hillsville Sanctuary and we celebrated his birthday we didn't tell anyone we'd learned not to tell anyone it was too hard telling people just and so yeah we just carried on I just had to I just I I was in a black hole I don't even have words for how black it was I mean it'd been going on for months already waiting was horrific and then this happened so a week later on a Sunday night we're bathing my son and I went and went to the toilet and I'd had my period and my period had ended and I went to the toilet and when I wiped there was blood and I said to my husband what's that why is that there Mm. and I don't know why I did it but I did a pregnancy test and it was positive but I just bled so much and I thought I was broken before and I just broke more because in my eyes this was a chemical pregnancy and I rang my mum and I think she thought someone was dead like you know she just she was like I couldn't talk I was crying so and she said "What's, what's what's happened I said I think I'm having a miscarriage and she was just so relieved that that's what it was that she said that's good because she thought like she thought the worst and I mean yeah you know it is the worst but everyone that's alive is alive still and so yeah so um we went to the doctor got bloods this just this yeah was insanity we went to the doctor got bloods done and we were told that yeah you are pregnant and your levels are good okay okay so I went to another doctor yeah your levels are good yep you're still pregnant okay so what do I do so they sent me for a scan I would have been like three weeks pregnant now. That scan cost me like six hundred dollars, and wow. of course there was nothing. I was three weeks. Like, what were they yeah. thinking? So that was, you know, just a, a level of these doctors. Just no one knew what was going on. Yeah. Um, so I just had to just wait. Fine, that's it. That's what you do. Then the, the following Sunday night, I had another bleed, and I was this time that this was a miscarriage. I didn't think it was a miscarriage. I knew I was miscarrying. That was it. This was the miscarriage. So I went and got more bloods done and it still said I was pregnant and it was going up. My levels were looking good. So we just have to wait again. Mm-hmm. I cried driving home from that appointment because I thought maybe it is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the following Sunday night again, this is now three Sundays in a row. Oh, no, I think it was the Saturday actually. I'd just been out and put compost in the compost bin and turned it, came in, went to the toilet, and I felt it wasn't blood this time. It was something. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but 
it was something came out of me and into the toilet and I just screamed and I said Lockie I've just our baby's in the toilet I've just our baby's in there and he didn't know what to do no one knew what to do um so he got a glove and he got that that he got it out um and it just looked like I don't know it looked like a bit of brain like we didn't know what it was um so we called my mother-in-law and we said you have to come now like you have and she's 45 minutes away and she came and we went to the hospital and we went to the Mercy Hospital and we had no idea then what we were in for but Lockie wasn't allowed in he had to wait at the front door um and they sent me in and they sat me in emergency waiting room surrounded by pregnant women and babies and I sat there with the tissue in a cup and didn't know what was happening um, they called me in and they took the tissue and also you know the the whatever it was the brain looking thing um and they had a look and it wasn't a baby it was not the baby there but it was something and I was still bleeding just a little bit now yeah. um so they did another blood test and they get the result you know you have to sit around and wait for the results now and so Lockie's now in the car park waiting at the hospital I'm sitting in a waiting room surrounded by pregnant women mm. and it just went on and on like I don't even I can't even tell you everything that happened because for the next two weeks I was in that hospital every single day they sent me home and then I had to go back the next day and they kept telling me this baby might be okay and I knew from what happened with Harvey that maybe it would be and yeah. I, I believed it wasn't but I, I believed it was as well so for the next literally two weeks every day I was there except one they didn't one day and I was having scans and I was having blood tests and I just sat in that waiting room. Some days I was there for two to three hours. There were days I was there for eight hours. There was, I was that woman that sat in the corner behind my stupid COVID mask, hiding behind a book crying because I just couldn't keep looking. And I was there one day and saw a woman arrive with her bags to be induced. She was nine months pregnant. It was time, probably nine and a half. It was time to have her baby. Mm-hmm. And I saw her check in. And then a few days later, I saw her check out with her newborn baby. And then the following day, I saw her bringing the baby back for his hearing test. Mm. Like I was there constantly. Like I just, I was a shell of a person. I sat in the waiting room and cried and people must have just looked at me and thought, what is going on with this woman? Who is this woman? What is happening? Because I just couldn't stop it. I cried and cried and I was in a waiting room like they couldn't even put me on a bed while they were waiting to test and then waiting for results and it just it just kept going on and on and it wasn't an early pregnancy unit even though there is an early pregnancy unit at that hospital it just all and I was so emotional I didn't understand and eventually on the 31st of July so it it they confirmed that there was no baby growing in there that they didn't know if maybe I'd lost the baby and this was just other tissue, but it wasn't ectopic, which is what they'd been worried about. I wasn't going to lose my tubes. And I sat in a room with a doctor and a student doctor while she told me that. And she was nice, but she wasn't nice enough. Mm. She was so clinical. It was her job. She told me I didn't have a baby in there. And my husband was still sitting in the car park and he sat in that car park for two weeks nonstop, every single day, because he couldn't physically hold my hand, but he yeah. wanted to physically be there. And he went through what I went through. He, yeah. It was his baby. It was 
there was no need for him not to be there. Like if I've got some infection, then he's going to have it too. And like, why couldn't my husband sit in the room while I lost my baby and cried for like, it just, oh, that makes me so, I like, I just want to hug that person. I mean, yeah. now I've, I've gone beyond that and I just, yeah, I just, I don't know. Oh, so anyway, so experience. yeah. So they gave me my misoprostol. Yes. Um, which is the medication to make me have the rest, get rid of, rid of the rest of the tissue on my own. So mm. I was supposed to miscarry myself, which meant that I was going to flush that baby down the toilet, but that's, I was, it was going to end. So they gave me the misoprostol and the other one, there's two, but I can't get yeah. a name. And so they did that. Um, and some people, when they do that hemorrhage. And so my beautiful auntie, my mum's sister came and sat with my son and took him to the park to play in case I hemorrhaged and it was a horrific experience. We're in the middle of COVID, it was illegal, she wasn't allowed there, but I would have fought anybody who came into that house and said that we weren't allowed to do it. Yeah. I just needed it. So I didn't have an awful hemorrhage, but I did bleed. Two weeks later, I went back for another scan to make sure it was all gone and it wasn't. It hadn't come out. I was still bleeding and it hadn't come out. Four months later, long story short, four months later, I was still bleeding. Four months. Holy crap. And I'd been to doctor after doctor after doctor to find out what was going on but I was still trying to miscarry this baby and I didn't want to do a DNC on me because the DNC will be what causes scarring in the first place yeah so I fought and I I mean they there were so many ideas about this will help or that'll help and nothing did in the end I rang my doctor in Sydney and said I need your help I need someone to get this out and I wasn't allowed to fly to Sydney because of the border closures so he couldn't do it so he called in a favor and he called in a doctor a friend of his who said yeah I'll do it I'm on holiday right now but I'm back whenever so he did it and I went in on the 1st of October in 2021 and he performed a DNC on me to remove the baby that I wanted more than anything in this world um who tried so hard to exist mm. because it held on so tight and it tried so hard but it didn't exist. They wheeled me onto that table. My husband sat in the car park again because he couldn't hold my hand and they removed that baby. And he did it carefully and he tried so hard to make my Ashermans not come back. Yeah. But two weeks later, I felt a period, but I didn't have a period. I could feel the blood dripping, but there was no blood. Um, so I went to my GP and asked for another selenography, whatever it is, and... I lay on the table, the same one that had reassured me so many times with my son. I lay on that table and she set, she put it in and I saw the scar tissue. I saw it on the screen and I burst into tears. And she looked up at me and she said, don't be ridiculous. That is not enough scar tissue to cause a problem. Don't be so silly. Pull yourself together. And my husband, again, wasn't allowed in that room. So I saw that screen. And I knew. So I went straight home and I rang my doctor in Sydney for another appointment. And I had a telehealth with him and he had the report from the doctor. And he said, no, no, there's nothing there. I can see. She said, it's fine. It's totally normal. Of course, you're going to have wispy bits. Of course, well, you know, he's trying to convince this paranoid woman that actually everything's fine. And I said, look, can I please send you the images? And I sent him the images and he said, oh, my goodness, you know more about the uterus than that gynecologist who performed that procedure because you have got serious scarring in there and that is more than enough to prevent you from having a baby. Yeah. Now, this scarring now was in my cervix. 
So it was new scarring in a new place. It was nothing to do with, I mean, you know, I'm obviously susceptible, but mm. it was different. So he said, come up next week. So I flew back to Sydney with my son and my husband and my mum flew up again as well. And I had another procedure. And it was completely different this time because I knew it was coming. It was karma. I was, I was paranoid. I was, you know, I researched everything. I'd spent four months bleeding. I was not going to let anything go wrong again. I knew what was going on with everything. Like I know everything about having babies now because I became obsessed. Yeah. Absolutely obsessed. Like I was doing castor oil every night by now. I was doing red light therapy. I was, I was doing everything by now. Um, Because I was going to get those eggs. I wasn't going to have another miscarriage because the egg wasn't strong enough. I was going to fix that problem. And so I had another procedure done and he was amazing. And again, so he did PRP at the time and PRP afterwards, which is where they spin your blood and make your blood super basically. (laughs) And and they put that back in uterus to fix the lining. And he said to me, your eggs are ready to go. He said, you could go home tonight and make a baby, which I'd heard before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we were in Sydney, so we clearly didn't that night go home and do it. But we went home and that's right, my son got gastro that night. Oh, my goodness, oh, he was no. so sick. We landed back in Melbourne and he was so sick. But we got through that. And then two weeks later, I did a pregnancy test and I was pregnant. Those two lines came up and I was, I, I just, I just collapsed with just joy. The, the last pregnancy test I'd had that was positive was all sadness. And this one was just so positive. And yeah, I just, it was, that was it. Did, were then, you feeling anxious at all? Or were you just hopeful that you just knew that this? I think I just was elated. I was yeah. just so happy. But then I started bleeding and I lost that baby. Oh no. So that baby didn't get a chance. And my beautiful sister-in-law had fallen pregnant herself nine months earlier. And she had you know amazing beautiful news for her but she had her baby that very same day and I literally found out about the birth of her beautiful baby boy about an hour after losing my own baby that I'd spent three years and tens of thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. and so much of my heart and just so much of and I was so happy for her but so crushed for me and that was like the extra slap in the face and it was nobody's fault absolutely nobody's fault but that was just such an extra slap in the face and I I just I didn't know how to get through that I didn't know what I was going to do I didn't know not her her news obviously I was you know that was amazing and I was so happy about that but I didn't know how I was going to get through my devastation it was so close to Christmas it was two weeks before Christmas and Christmas was at my house and I had a child that I needed to celebrate Christmas with. Like I I needed to, I was at the lowest point. There were many times amongst the journey. I don't know that necessarily at this point it was, but there were many times along the journey where I was so scared by the sadness and by how I was that I, I think if I didn't have my son that I don't know that I would have gotten through yeah. because there's no world where a son is better without their mum. And I knew that and he I needed me yeah. <laughs> because he needs his mum and yeah. I had to be there, but I really didn't want to be there. I really didn't want to have to keep feeling the pain. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't, oh, I just, 
I, I don't think I can, I mean, people who've been through the infertility journey and the loss, they get it. But until you've experienced that, you can't imagine it. And I'm so lucky that I have my son. I was so lucky to have Harvey and I used to climb into bed with him at night. He'd be fast asleep and I'd just go and climb into bed with him and I'd just hold him all night because I needed it, not because he did, because I was just broken. So I wasn't going to give up. I celebrated Christmas. I wasn't giving up. I ovulated right at Christmas and I kept saying, maybe it'll be a Christmas miracle. And I have someone who, a beautiful friend who matters so much to me and I care about so much who was is going through her own fertility journey and we were both in our two-week wait together and we were both so desperate and I was on holidays at my parents house they live by the beach and I sort of I don't know I, I was I was doing the mirror every day I was testing my progesterone I knew where I was at with everything I was doing pessaries that's right I was doing the progesterone pessaries every morning and every night because that was going to help me have a baby and anything that would help I would do yeah and I had a dream that I was pregnant and it was way too soon it was like way way too soon like you know four days up whatever mm. and I was like there's no way but I got up and I did a test and it was positive wow and I was like I don't want it like this time I wasn't elated this yeah. time I was just terrified and I didn't want to tell anyone but my husband and I went for a walk mum and dad watched my son and we went for a walk and I showed him the test yeah. and he didn't want to get excited and we mm. said we're not going to tell anyone and we got home and I looked at mum and I told her straight away because I just couldn't um and so mum and dad were over the moon but cautious as well mm. we went to mum and dad's garden plot that day where they've you know, like a community garden where there's lots of people that come to a garden. And my son turned to a random lady and said, my mum has a baby in her tummy. And he didn't know. Wow. He did not know. But he turned to this strange woman and told her. And I did. I had a baby in my belly. And I had a small bleed at one point. I had, you know, all sorts of fears. But this baby was fine. And this baby was growing. And I had morning sickness and I hadn't experienced that before. Oh. <laughs> and so, you know, I was like, well, this is, this is really good. And I had a six week scan and there was a heartbeat and I, 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 I didn't have words. Now there's a baby and it's growing. And I was terrified. And at six weeks I had that scan and I got the heartbeat and then I did more bloods and the bloods were still going well. And then I found an obstetrician that was an MFM, so like a maternal fetal medicine, whatever. So he's like a really experienced doctor. He performs surgery on babies when they're still in utero. Like I found the doctor to go and see, and he was my obstetrician because I'd found out when I was four weeks freaking pregnant. And so he was available. So I, I was going to him and he was amazing. And you'd have a scan and then you'd feel great. And then after three days, my anxiety had creep in again. Mm. and I'd be terrified again and then I'd have another scan and it'd be fine and then the anxiety and it just it was intense and I the whole pregnancy I was absolutely terrified like I, I just I, I had to not think about it but then I'd get excited and, and I didn't tell people till I was like 20 weeks because I didn't want to have to go through not telling people and it just yeah I don't know I was in this bubble and I was so scared but I was so, so, so excited. Yeah. Um, on the 1st of March, which is my husband's birthday, we found out it was another boy and 
it was one of those moments because I'd really wanted a baby girl, but mm -hmm. I was so happy to be having a baby and, you know, who cares? Like it just, it didn't matter that it was a boy or a girl. It was just a baby and it was growing. Yeah. Um. And yeah, then I, it was a pretty simple pregnancy. My obstetrician said he wanted to do a planned cesarean at 38 weeks. And he just said, in case something goes wrong, he said, I want to have you on the table just in case. Because with Ashermans, there's a much larger chance of um, placenta accreta where mm -hmm. the placenta gets stuck on the wall. And mm -hmm. I didn't want that to happen, especially seeing as that miscarriage had stuck so well. I was like, there's, I'm not risking this. Mm -hmm. um, but on the day of the planned cesarean, I got up in the morning. We took a last photo of me being pregnant. We drove to the hospital. I was the first one up of the day. I had this amazing midwife walk me in. They were all joking as they... Um, like got me ready for the procedure and and they said you know this is silly but we have to ask what are you here for today I said I'd like you to cut my baby out please <laughs> like I just and they said we've never had someone say please before <laughs> like I just I just want this baby so much yeah um and they did the anesthetist was due to give birth his wife was due to give birth sorry any day and it was just this beautiful relaxed calm environment everything I had not experienced with my son um with my first son yeah um and they they got him out and the doctor said, all right, Lauren, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Cameras, everyone up, uh, sheet down, he's coming, he's coming. And then everything went quiet and he said, sheet up, hang on, everyone sheet up. And he said, Lauren, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just about to cut you a little bit more. Hang on, it's just a bit urgent. We're just cutting you. And I said, you know what, that's fine. Just I'm glad he's not coming out my vagina right now. You can cut my stomach as much as you want. And he looked at me horrified, but he cut my stomach more and he pulled the baby out. And he didn't cry. And they were doing the rub on the back, like, you know, trying to get it out. And he, they'd warned me that because he was only 38 weeks that he might not breathe. He might have okay. fluid in the lungs. Um, and they warned me, but I was not prepared for that to happen. Nothing could prepare you. Mm. Um, and he was doing the back rubs and he said, it'll be right, he'll breathe. And I remember saying, come on, baby, come on, baby, come on, baby. Um, and he said, we're just going to hand him to the pediatrician. And I, I, I was laying on that table, holding my husband's hand, waiting and waiting and waiting. And it was some ridiculous amount of time. It was like seven minutes. And then he cried and he, he was okay. <laughs> and he's fine. And, and they brought him over and they put him in my arms and I held him and I didn't let go. I wasn't letting go of that baby. And we did our first breastfeed and he was, he's, he's perfect <laughs> he's the most perfect thing you could ever imagine and he's fine he's he's you know he's everything everything he had to be is the most beautiful miracle and he had fluid on his lungs so he was a struggle at first but yeah once we left that hospital it didn't matter everything that happened in the hospital it was done and we named him Bodhi because Bodhi means enlightenment and it's about Buddha reaching enlightenment after all of his negativity. And that's what this baby is. He has enlightened me. He's just brought so much amazingness to this world by being here. And he's the most calmed, most chilled out, beautiful baby boy who smiles at everything. He's five and a half months now. And yeah. it's impossible not to get him to smile. I mean, today was not our ideal day. He has had, he's got a cold and it was, he did cry a lot today, but even amongst his cries, he just keeps smiling. And I just wish that I could show myself 
12 months ago, two years ago, how this could be, mm. how everything does change because I didn't know you could get as low as I got. I didn't know how hurt and I didn't know pain could be physical from emotions and yet it was. It was the worst thing you could ever imagine and more and yet now it's the best thing I could imagine. Now it's perfection. I have and my son is the most beautiful big brother. The day he came to hospital, he'd never been apart from me. I'm a stay-at-home mum. He'd never been apart from me. And now he hadn't seen me for three days. And my husband went down to the car park to get him because my mum wasn't allowed into the hospital. And I thought, oh, he's going to want to see me. You know, he's going to want mum cuddles. And I was waiting at the door for him. And he pushed past me and said, where's my baby? Oh. And he just sat there and held his baby and he, oh. he just kissed him and like, he just loves him so much. He's the best big brother. They sit in the back of the car. I've put his seats in the middle and the baby's on the side because Harvey holds Bodie's hand in the car when he cries oh, because so he wanted that baby so much. He, he's been on the journey with us. Yeah. He told, we had a blood test nurse once take blood from me and he looked at her and he said, excuse me, can you please give my mum a baby? Cause we really oh. want a baby. And now he's got that baby that he's wanted so much and that I've wanted and he just, he knows. And the joy is like, I can't put into words the sadness that I felt, but I also can't put into words the joy that now I feel mm. because it's, it's not, it's so hard. It wasn't worth it, but it does sort of fade into the background. All of that pain it doesn't disappear and it'll never disappear. I will never forget that pain. I will never stop feeling it. No, but it has in the way that you've retold the story and how emotional <laughs> that you still get like yeah you've been through so much and now you've got your two beautiful babies it. and yeah I was really and hoping when you were telling me about Bodhi's birth that it was just going to be <laughs> sailing and he would cry and get yeah. put on your chest and yeah yeah that's, that's what I was hoping to I tell you what yeah <laughs> But it, yeah, it just he just thought he'd give us a shock. He just wanted to prove that he could be a challenge too. And he's, you know, he's he's given us his his scares now. I mean, not his scares. I mean, he's fine. He's a hundred percent fine. But he's had his lip and tongue tied done, and oh, yeah. he's had the he had to have multiple scans on his hips in case he had hip dysplasia. But he doesn't. He he has avoided that, and right. he's got to have a little procedure done in a few weeks on a testicle. Like you know, he's he's got yeah. his. He's giving us his. He's just proving <laughs> that hey. My brother's not going to be the only one here that causes issues. I'm going to come in too. <laughs> but that's okay. We can that's all right. That. We can handle that. Yeah, as long as they're, yeah, so, they're here and yeah. they're healthy and they're happy. and Yeah. You've got your beautiful little family. Ashman's is, it's, it's terrifying because it is so common. Yeah. And yet we don't, doctors don't know about it. And the doctor that I went to, if I hadn't fought hard, I don't think, like Bodhi wouldn't be here. If I hadn't fought, he wouldn't be here. Yeah. and that's just that's not right in a just I mean the Facebook group we came across each other through the Ashman's mm -hmm. Facebook group and yeah. that group is full of thousands of women that have got this and mm -hmm. that are fighting it and everyone's in their various stages of fighting it and yeah. the doctors around the world are telling us that it doesn't exist or it's you know like my my gynecologist said to me that was doing that scan she said it's not that bad it was that bad. It was bad enough that I was blocked. Um, yeah. If I wasn't bleeding, then the sperm and the egg can't meet mm. because they can't get in. Mm. And that's terrifying. It is terrifying. It really is. And yeah. I, I, I 
very much during my journey was I kept everything a secret from the world. I didn't want anyone to know. I was really private. I felt like a failure because I couldn't have children or I couldn't have another child. And I, I blamed myself and I thought it was my God given right as a woman to be able to have a baby. And I didn't want anyone to know because I was ashamed. Mm. And then it, it, it came out, you know, I told one person who told one person and I started getting texts from people that I hadn't told. And I'm like, well, friends or family have told you. And, you know, I was hurt. I was really upset by that because I didn't want people to know. And then I got to the point where I realized after I told a few people, I realized that actually people are ashamed of their miscarriages or their infertility or whatever it is. And people are ashamed when they can't have kids and they don't talk about it. Mm. And I realized that's that's not good enough because until you know, you can't support someone. I had yeah, a beautiful uh, friend. Uh, there's a lady I worked with years ago who, oh my goodness, I, I just think the world of her. I cherish her. She's the most amazing woman. And she had an awful journey herself. And she was incredible to me. And I will forever be grateful to her for how she supported me through my journey because she understood and she has her second beautiful miracle girl and the joy that I felt for her when she had her beautiful miracle girl was like nothing else because yeah it just makes you get it you know yeah the hurt and the the struggle yeah and so I I ended up you know I mean I'm chatting with you today and I I kind of changed my mindset and I went this is nothing to be ashamed of Mm. I am a fighter and because I fought I have a baby and I want the world to know how hard I fought so that they know how to fight for themselves if they need to, because I'm happy to help anyone fight for their baby. I will do anything, anything I can do to help anybody I will do. And I kind of took it upon myself. (laughs) Yeah. I've seen how amazing you are within the Usherman's group. And there are so many women who are so scared and rightly so that they don't know if they, if it's even possible to have another baby and here you are coming and sharing your story. People, especially in those groups, are going to get so much from this. I think it's really important to be able to share the positivity Mm. because when you're in the depths of it, you're not sure if it's ever going to be yours. No. And I used to say one of, I'm going to get the words wrong for it now, but I used to say when I was going through it, we're, we're in a fairy tale, but in every fairy tale, there's a beginning then in the middle, something goes wrong and you're in the deep, dark forest and something, you know, there's a wolf following you or something like that. And you're in that awful spot. But at the end, there's the positivity and you just have to look at your fertility journey as the deep, dark woods. But, you know, there's a happy ending at the other side of it. Well, you don't know, but you hope, yeah. you hope there's a positive ending. And my friend that I mentioned, who matters more than anything to me, who was in the two week wait at the same time as me she still hasn't had that positive or she has had the positive test and she's had losses in amongst that. Mm. And I just, that was really hard for me as well to now for her to have to hold my beautiful baby, knowing that together we were in that fight and we both were doing it at the same time. And I, I wish there was more I could do for her. I wish there was more I could do for anyone going through this. You know, I'd give eggs, I'd give anything I could. Like it just, you just want to help people have their babies because it's just everything but I can't <laughs> you can't I mean I can I know there's only so, so much, much you can do exactly and I think just yeah. being on here and being vulnerable and sharing like it's yeah. it's amazing and it's it's what we need to do to keep the conversation going and help women feel less ashamed of their yeah. loss in their bodies because ultimately with Ashermans especially it's something that happened to us yeah it's nothing yeah. that we could have controlled and instead of yeah. feeling ashamed 
like I feel angry like I'm in the angry yeah. part of my grieving yeah process. yeah oh yeah you go I went through that bit <laughs> yeah yeah I'm still yeah. there <laughs> yeah yeah you just and that's the thing you just you you want people to know as well that they don't have to trust their doctors mm. because doctors aren't necessarily right I mean that doctor did it to me all those years ago when I was 22 sure he lightened my periods but he went a little too far yeah <laughs> like he never I mean anyone listening who doesn't know that if you put heat in a uterus it's probably going to cause scarring scarring. yeah yeah and so what he did was essentially setting me up for a lifetime of of fighting we got through that and I I just hope that I hope that the 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 understanding of it gets wider so that doctors don't do that I hope so too I'm not sure what it's going to take yet with there being yeah you see the amount of women in those groups and like thousands yeah and how is this yeah. not more widely recognised? Yeah, no, and I think what you're doing is amazing. I think it's incredible to be getting the stories out there in the world and for there to be stories, you know, or podcasts and people talking about it in Australia because yeah. often we can find things overseas, but to find people that are in, you know, someone else that might be in Melbourne to hear it and go, oh, yeah, okay, mm. you know, whether they hear Professor Van Kai's name or, or, you know, Jim Soldiers or whatever, or whether they just go, you know, I have none of that and I'm doing IVF and that's, that's what matters because yeah just hearing that I think the biggest thing for me is that the pain subsided and that's the biggest thing I would tell myself going through that journey again and again I I I would do it a million times if it meant that I could have someone as beautiful as Bodie but I you don't believe it when you're in it that it's worth it but I would fight a million times harder to have him because the, the joy that you get when you hold that baby in your arms it's like nothing else you could ever understand Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Messy in the Middle. My main goal for creating this podcast is to ensure other women going through the struggles of infertility and baby loss don't feel alone along this very isolating journey. I want to be able to reach as many women as possible. And in order for me to do this, I would really appreciate if you could subscribe and leave a rating and review on iTunes and Spotify. Also, if you have any feedback or suggestions of what you'd like to hear, please get in contact with me through the Messy in the Middle Instagram page. Sending you so much love and strength on your journey to baby.